excited to get to talk to you this morning because I get to talk to you about the gospel. And if you've been in this class at all, and this is week eight, if you've been in this class at all, you know by now what Paul means when Paul uses that Greek word gospel. Paul is referencing to the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ for our sins. That's the good news. That's the gospel. Is David Capes here today? I don't see him. He may be watching via the internet. Is, if he is, someone yell. Okay, he gets a pass. Week one, Paul starts out his letter saying, the gospel is serious business, pay attention. Week two, I skipped. Week three, the gospel is authentic. It's not something Paul inherited or heard from someone else. Paul got it from the Lord. Uh, there's two. It's powerful, it's sanctified, it's the center of all that we do. It is the focus of our living and how we choose to live. It is personal. It, it applies to me. And then Pastor David last week came in and taught about the gospel <laughs> or foolishness. That's pretty good, huh? Okay, let's see. That was Pastor Jarrett who taught Lesson 5. Okay, and then everybody says, uh, well, that's not you, Mark. No, it's not. If I put my picture up there, it'd look horrible. I will also tell you this while I'm wasting your time. I got a call from some lady who said, uh, uh, hey, you're going to speak at this seminar coming up. I said, yeah, I think so. She said, could you send us a picture to use for you in the advertisements? That's all she asked for. Can you send us a picture to use in the advertisement. And I said, sure, I can email you one now. So I emailed her a picture of Brad Pitt. <laughs> she, she emails back and says, this looks like Brad Pitt. I said, it is Brad Pitt. And she said, well, why are you sending me a Brad Pitt picture? You said, would you send me a picture to use? I thought that's a good one to use. More people will come if you use that picture than if you use mine. She said, no, I meant a picture of you. I said, oh, okay, sorry. So I sent her one of those. But uh, Pastor David came in, said the gospel of foolishness. That was last week. If you missed it, watch it. It was a great lesson. And then this week, what I want to look at is the next couple of passages, and I want to talk about it as the just, just, J-U-S-T, like justice, not like, oh, that's all it is. You know, you can use the word just like, that's all it is. It's just the gospel. No, no, no. It's a just gospel. Now, I make a living with justice. I am in courtrooms for 37 years trying cases, trying to find justice. That's what, that's what I do. That's my training after undergraduate 
And, and, and that is the trade that I plot. That is my occupation. That is my job. I cannot tell you how many courthouses I've been to where a picture of lady or a portrait or a, um, a sculpture of lady justice is there with the courthouse. But the courtrooms of America are premised on the idea of justice. We have a pledge of allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. That's the premise of our country. When we declared ourselves independent from King George and the British, there was a list of reasons that we considered it appropriate to declare independence. And among those reasons was the denial of justice through the court systems. And we're entitled to be treated justly in America. And we have a court system and we stand for justice for all. Now, what is justice? As a lawyer, I will tell you that justice is represented well by Lady Liberty. Or Lady Justice, excuse me. Lady Justice, here she is. What does Lady Justice have? She's got a sword for judgment. This sword is because she executes judgment. Justice is an execution of of judgment but for it to be justice it needs to not be just an execution of judgment uh-oh we got some serious remote control issues it's got to be fair those are the even scales justice means if Greg goes to court against the most powerful person in America Greg gets treated fairly <laughs> he said, that's why I hire you. I like you, Greg. Um, if, 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 if anybody in here goes to court against the most powerful, justice says they get treated fairly. Miss Carolyn, it doesn't depend on the color of their skin. It, do, it should. It, justice does not. And if it does not mean fair treatment for everybody... It's an injustice. So the scales show fairness. And the blindfold says it's consistent. It applies across the board. Regardless of what you look like. Justice does not change if you're underweight or overweight. If you're rich or you're poor. Now the problem is, we don't always achieve justice in our court systems. People are not always treated fair. I'm not going to talk about Bruce Springsteen getting off from his DUI, because I like Bruce Springsteen. But if I didn't like Bruce Springsteen, I'd use that as an example. Because I think some people might argue he got preferential treatment. Hey, Bruce, I know you're the boss, man. 
do not take this to negatively. Born to run. I'm with you. Um, but that's justice. Justice is judgment that's applied in a fair and a consistent manner. So now, with that idea of justice, I want to talk about how the gospel is just. No injustice in the gospel. It is truly judgment applied in a fair and consistent manner. And that's Paul's point in the passage we're going to look at today. So let's do it in three parts. We're going to look at the justice of the gospel. Then we're going to look at how that justice of the gospel was never something that people earned. Justice before God is never anything people earn. And then we'll end by saying, okay, well, if that's true, then what does the law mean? Why do we get the law? If, if the list of do's and don'ts doesn't make us right before God, why do we have the list of do's and don'ts? Those are the things Paul covers in here, and so we're going to look at those with him together. These are the texts. You've got your Bible open. Open it to Galatians chapter 3. Sharpen your pens. Get ready, because you are going to have the time of your life looking at this. This is so much fun. And if this remote control doesn't work from up there, then I'm going to cry. Look at this. Let's read it first from the English. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who doesn't abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now, I'm reading from the English Standard Version. And those folks, women and men who translate that, are smarter than a tree full of owls. They are really, really good. And I always say I'm not a Greek scholar. I know enough Greek to know I'm not a Greek scholar. But I've been reading the Greek text for over 40 years. And I do love the Greek. And I do spend some time in it. And anybody who's translating the Bible has to make some choices of which words to use. So I'm going to show some of the alternative choices that aren't anything other than an effort to dig a little bit deeper into the text so that you get a fuller understanding of, of the text. And I'm not faulting the English Standard Version. I don't want anyone to think that I am because it's an amazing text. And I think if it was being translated for the world, that's the greatest thing that can be done. But they had to make some choices because they're trying to translate each word into its best equivalent in the English language. So they can't like use two or three or four different words even though they need to. It just is not the way the translation's done. So with that as my lawyer cover. It begins in the Greek, hosoi. <clears throat> hosoi. It's translated all. It's the very first word in the Greek, but hosoi means as many as. Means. That's, that, that's the idea. Maybe is a better way to say it. As many as. So, 
as many people as are relying on works of the law are under a curse. They translate it all. That's great. Great. Everyone, as many as, hosoi, rely on works of the law are under a curse. Now, the word rely in the Greek is not there. It's not there. The translators put it in because it's implied in the idea of the Greek. But you've got hosoi gar ex ergon nomu, asin. You don't have it. The verb in the Greek is, is, is right here. It's asin. It's that E, I, and that's a sigma, an S with like a, a, a nose growing out of its head. S, I, and then the N, it looks like a V, the Greek new. That's the verb. But that verb, isin, that verb, isin, means to be. To exist. So what your Greek says is hosoi. As many as out of works of law exist. As many as are, it's, it's present tense, who, who are, who exist out of works of law. As many exist out of works of law, or it's translated on work, rely on works of the law. But it's, it's literally, as many as exist out of works of law. That's how you exist. That's your existence. That's how you live. You're living by the rules standard with God. You're living based upon the idea, I do this, 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 God will save me. I was taught... The plan of salvation by some people when I was younger who taught me, hear, believe, repent, confess, and be baptized. Then you get saved. That's not what Paul's saying here. Paul's saying there's a list mentality of doing what you can do to please God and be right with God. And those who live on a list mentality. Now Paul's list that he's talking about is the law. The Old Testament law. The principle I think is broader. But Paul's real list. The, the problem he's having are people who think you have to live under the Old Testament law. To be right with God. And Paul says for Every, as many as everybody who is existing out of this works of law is cursed. So all who exist out of works of law, all of them, and look at this, that Ison, I mean, don't, don't get lost here. If you get lost, you'll come back. I'll put it together for you in a minute. But you see that red letters and the red letters? That's the same word. That, in a sense, is what's being used for rely. But, but it's not rely. It means to be, to exist. So Paul's writing is beautiful in the Greek. He says, everybody who out of works of law exists 
under a curse exist. If you want to exist living out of the law, you are existing under a curse. That's, that's, that's pretty stout. All who exist out of the law exist under a curse. I don't know that it was in Paul's mind, but it's very consistent with the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant, if you'll recall, this is what God had the people build during the exodus from Egypt because this was going to be the centerpiece of where God met with the people. And ark is just the Hebrew word for a chest. This is the chest or the ark and it's called the ark of the covenant because God said put the Ten Commandments in there and they represent the law. So you've got the law, the covenant, in this box, this chest. And then on top of it was this seat made out of angels' wings where God descends in judgment. Because those who are going to live out of the law are under the judgment of God. And that's where the priest would sprinkle the blood. Because the judgment of God is that sin equals death. So they'd kill some poor sheep or goat or bull. Sprinkle the blood on there. Symbolically. To show that. But this is the idea. If you're going to live... Out of the law, which is down here, you are under the curse, the judgment of God. And Paul says it by quoting a passage out of Deuteronomy 27, 26. Cursed be everyone who doesn't abide by all the things written in the book of the law to do them. So this passage in Deuteronomy, uh, scholars can call it the dodecalogue because it's 12 curses that are laid out there. And each time after each of the curses were read, the people would say, Amen. So look at these curses. These came from Mount Ebal and the Levitical priests would pronounce them. And so they start in verse 15. Cursed be the man who makes a carved or cast metal image, an abomination to the Lord, a thing made of hands of craftsmen, sets it up in secret. And all the people say, Amen. So be it. We agree. Deal. You got shake on it. Cursed be anyone who dishonors his father or his mother. All the people, Amen. Agreed. So be it. Deal. Cursed be anyone who moves his neighbor's landmark. That's fuzzing property lines. Amen. So be it. 
Beal. And there are 12 of these. And they all deal with religious or social issues until the last one. And that's the one Paul quotes. And he quotes it out of the Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures instead of the Hebrew. But it's, Cursed be anyone who does not confirm the words of this law by doing them. And all the people said, Amen. So be it. Deal. And that's the way it is. The law says, cursed is everyone who's not able to do all of it. Every one of these. Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and do them. Martin Noth was a German theologian in the 1900s. I think he died in the late 60s. Um, I didn't, I don't like a lot of what he wrote. Uh, I don't agree with his approach on a lot of stuff, but I really like this quotation, so I grabbed it. He said, on the basis of this law, and he's talking about that law in Deuteronomy, there's only one possibility for man of having his own independent activity. In other words, you want to do it on your own? You got one shot, one possibility. There's only one road. It's, you're going to sin you're going to not be in harmony with God. You're going to be under a curse. And you're going to be judged. That's the only destination. You think you're going to get to God by what you do? You think he's going to smile on you because of who you are? And what you have accomplished? You think you've got anything to boast about or be proud about before the Lord? If you do then you need to start repenting of your pride and arrogance because it's sinful and you're under a curse. If you are suffering because you don't feel like you measure up, if you're nervous about dying because you don't know if God's really going to forgive you for some of the stuff you've done, if you're petrified about whether or not you are adequate before God, then you need to understand His mercy. You need to understand what we're talking about today. I'm going to tell you, the road to God based on performance is closed. Nobody's going to make it to the end of that road. That's, a, that's, that's, that's closed. Detour. You're going to hell. It's just not there. None of us. Nobody is going to abide by all the law. We all get the amen curse. So be it. So let's continue. Paul says, so now, eh, sort of now. Now, hoti is the Greek word. You'll see it's translated now up at the start. And it's translated for down here. Kind of means because, means then. Same kind of stuff like that. Let's see if I... Yeah, there we go. Because or, or since. Um, um, it's this idea of because of this, then this, or since this, then this. So now, because, since, it's evident, day long, it's at the end of the sentence, since it's evident that in works, nobody is going to be justified before God by law. 
The righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Okay, this is such, these two verses are two really cool verses in the Greek. And I'm sorry, I don't want to bore you, but I'm not letting it go. I'm a dog with a bone on this one. We're going to dig into this really fun. This is good. Note takers beware. All right. See this word here? I put it in red. The whole word is dikaiotai, dikaiotai, utai, dikaiotai. There you go. Um, but the dikai part, that, that D, which looks like a circle with like some goofy little squiggle on top, I-K-A-I, delta, um, delta, iota, Kappa, Alpha, Iota, Dekai. Those words, um, whoops, that's the OD. Those words are the basis of the word justified. The verb is Dekaio, O, Dekaio, O. Not guilty. It's a judicial word. It's got another meaning as well, but, but it, Paul's using it in a judicial sense here of a courtroom. And the judge saying not guilty. That's DK. The, the, the DK words are built around the idea of justice. So DKOO are the, the D-I-K-A-I word that we've got here is rooted in the idea of not guilty. You got it? We've talked about it before, but I want to make sure you're on that page. So Paul's saying it's evident that no one is declared not guilty, justified, no one is declared not guilty before God by the law. Under the law, you're declared guilty. Under the law, you're going to hell. You are forever alienated from God. You are under a curse. You are worthy of death. Under, it's evident, Paul says, it's clear. It's day long that, that, that you not declared not guilty by the law. It's not going to happen. Now look at this. Even if you don't read Greek, look at it. You've got the same hody because, so he started this out with, because or since under the law no one's declared right before God, as is evident. Because, and he's doing the same thing. He starts out with that same hody there. And then look at that next word. See if I can get it. Whoops, there we go. See, it's got the same D-I-K-A-I. In the Greek, it's the same word as justified. But the translators pull a fast one on you. And they translate it righteous instead. The righteous shall live by faith. Ah, I'm having remote control trouble. Hold on. Or the dikaios. Yeah, there it is. That's the same Greek word. It's evident no one's declared not guilty before God by law. The not guilty, the ones declared not guilty, live by faith. Our not guilty is not based on what we do. It's based on our faith 
in the gospel, in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ for our sins. That's his whole point. And he's quoting here Habakkuk 2.4. Habakkuk 2.4 says, the righteous will live by faith. Habakkuk's an Old Testament prophet who's trying to figure out why evil people get away with, like, murder and righteous people have to suffer from corona, uh, bad weather, um, economics, bad relationships. And he really doesn't say corona. He says plagues and pestilence. But that's what he deals with. And he says the righteous will live by faith. They will trust God for the deliverance and the salvation from all of the world's problems. Certainly the problem of sin. And so Paul says that. But now there's something really cool here. If we look at that whole verse, I've taken it and put it into Mark Lanier translation. Because clearly no one is not guilty before God in the law. Because the not guilty live out of faith. Did any of y'all ever take English? Did any of y'all ever teach English? Oh, I know Beverly Bowman did. Okay. In English, some teachers will teach prepositions using a preposition box. Okay. To the box, out of the box, along the box, up and down, through the box, over the box, past the box, into the box, away from the box, around the box. Prepositions in reference to a box because they indicate movement. So if we take two of those boxes into the box and away from the box, there's all the difference in the world between those, isn't there? The difference between going into the box and coming away from the box. That's a huge difference, right? Okay. Those prepositions, there are different prepositions in the Greek that indicate movement. It's like English. There are exceptions to the rule. But in general, I want you to see two of those prepositions that are here. Because Paul's making superb use of them. Here's what Paul says. Clearly, no one is not guilty before God in the law. And that preposition in, which is en in the Greek, instead of, it looks like ev, but it's en, because that v is the Greek n. En instead of in. Same word there. In the law. He's talking about getting into the box. If you want a not guilty by living in here, if this is the way you're going to get yourself right before God by living in the box, you got no shot. He says, but the not guilty, you know, you won't find not guilty in the law. You won't find it. Nobody will. You'll find you're not guilty over here by this other word, ek. It's E-K, Epsilon Kappa, ek. And Paul says, the righteous, the hodikaios, out of faith will live. That's that passage he's quoting from Habakkuk. Here's what he's saying. 
He's saying you won't find the not guilty in the law. You will find the not guilty by living out of faith. Because ek is out of the box instead of in the box. So you don't find not guilty by getting into the law. You get in the law, that's not going to get you not guilty. What's going to get you not guilty is coming out of faith. Living a life of faith and trust and, 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 and conviction of the death of Christ for your sins. And that box makes all the difference in the world. In the world. And then he says, but the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Now this is, this is a mess in, in the English translation in a way because we miss the beauty. To get the meaning, we miss the beauty of the Greek. But Paul says, you don't find not guilty getting into the law box. You find it coming out of the faith box. And then he says, because the law... No one is out of faith, or as it's translated here, the law is not faith, but it's that E-K, E-K, it's this, out of, preposition. So he says, the law is not out of faith. That's not where you find the law. He goes on to say, but the ones who are doing them, doing the law stuff, will live in them and and you've got that in come on there you go in again so you're back over here so here's where you put it all together paul says you won't find not guilty in the box the law box you'll find not guilty coming out of the faith box you don't find the law out of the faith box you find the law in the law box And that's, that's where you've got it. The one who does them shall live in them. You live in the box. So here it is, all put together. Here's what we're saying. Galatians 3, 10 through 12. All who exist out of works of law, out of that box, exist under a curse. It's written, cursed be everyone who doesn't abide by everything in the box of law and do them. Because nobody's going to be not guilty before God in the box of law. The not guilty are in the box coming out of faith. The law is not in that box coming out of faith. And the one who does them lives in the box of law, where the box is, where the law is. It's in that box. I hope that makes some sense. Because here's where it ends. Christ redeemed us out of or from the curse of the law. He bought us out of that box curse. He redeemed us. That word redeemed, it's um, exagora is the root. Ex means out of. Agora was the marketplace. It's referencing you redeeming something, you buying something back, you, you buying something out of the marketplace. It's something that's bought. Christ bought us. He liberated us can be used for liberation if you bought a slave and you could liberate them. This is the word. So this is what he's saying. You know, we've got that law box. Christ redeemed us from the law box. He got us away from the law box. 
He redeemed us out of, out of, ek, out of the law box. We were stuck in the law box, and he got us out of the law box. So we could live out of a faith box. And Paul's so ticked off at the people who, who polluted this idea with the Galatians and told them, oh, no, 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 no. You've got to get back in the law box. You may have started out in the faith box, but that just made you free to go jump back in the law box. And Paul's whole point is, no, we got out of the law box. He bought us out of it. You don't jump back in. Salvation is not something that you get by grace, by the death of Christ through your faith, and then you earn it the next day to keep it. That's a total misunderstanding of the grace of God and what Jesus has done. And so Paul's quoting here, Deuteronomy 21, 23. Christ became a curse for us. And the key here is the, 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 the law, you don't get out from under the law in a, uh, um, in a just world unless you paid the price. Redemption isn't free. A price has to be paid. Lady justice demands it. It's got to be consistent. God can't make exceptions. The law can't apply to some people and not other people. In an eternal sense. Not the Jewish law in particular, but in an eternal sense. So Christ redeemed us he bought us out of the curses that came in that law box he bought us out of the box how did he do it by taking our place he became the curse for us in other words god didn't just erase our sin oh those people at champion four is a bunch of sinners i love those guys give me the eraser <laughs> No, that's not justice. God says, oh, those people of Champion Forest, I love them so much. I got to get rid of their sin, the curse of their sin. And I can't just erase it because I'm a just God. So I'm going to take their place. That's what Paul's driving home in this letter. That's the justice of the gospel. That's why our forgiveness and our not guilty before God is real, it's lasting, it's permanent, because it's already been done. It's already been done. He didn't die for the sins of the past only. He died for all of them. He didn't die for your sins that you committed before you came to faith. He died for all of them. And he did it once for everybody, for all. And only he could do it because anybody else who dies under the curse of sin is only dying for the sins they earned, they did, they committed. It's, it's just their just deserts. So... Justice, Paul says, was never earned. Now, if you're panicking because I took 30, 40 minutes on the first point and you're thinking you're going to miss Jarrett's sermon, it's not going to happen, don't worry. Jarrett's sermon ties in with this like crazy. He's going to be preaching on the woman caught in adultery. You're going to want to hear it. It's dynamite. But 
this, this justice was never earned, Paul says. This isn't new. He says, let me give you a human example, brothers and sisters. That's generic. Even with a man-made covenant, diathike in the Greek, covenant is, um, can mean a deal, a covenant, um, but it also generally, uh, and, or here means, I think, specifically a will, like you, want a, uh, you need a will before you die. You know, not necessarily, but a lot of people do. Covenant, diathike. It's, it's a will. It's your last will and testament. And Paul says, after you make a will, and after you die, and after your will is executed, and after your estate is closed, everything's distributed, you can't go back and say, I'd like to change my will. I mean, you're dead. How are you going to come back and change your will after you've died? Much less after it's been executed and, and, and all the property's been distributed. You can't do that. And that's what he says here. He says, uh, let me go back. To give you a human example, even with a man-made will, you can't annul it or add to it once it's been ratified. Ratified means you're dead and it's been enforced by the courts. It's been executed upon. It's been ratified. Once that's happened, you can't go back and change it. In the same way... He says, the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. God made these promises to Abraham. Paul's got a really cool little argument here that I, I don't want to spend too much time getting into, but it tells you as I'm parsing his prepositions, Paul was pretty good at parsing language as well because he's referencing here the idea of offspring and he's making a point that offspring is singular, not plural. That God gave the promise to Abraham and his offspring, not offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one. Because the offspring through whom the promise is valid is one. It's Christ. That offspring of Abraham. Singular. So Paul wants you to know that these prom Paul has already been talking. Remember, he's already put into context Abraham, his faith was reckoned to him as righteousness. Abraham was deemed not guilty before God by his faith. And Abraham came 430 years before the law. The law wasn't even given. This doesn't come till Moses. How on earth can you think this is the basis of being not guilty? The not guilty was already announced by God. The whole covenant, the whole deal was set out by God to Abraham, referencing his singular offspring, Christ, through whom this promise became real. It's a promise of righteousness, justification, or not guilty by faith. And that's what we've got. We've got a not guilty by faith. And it's been that way from the very beginning. So this is a just thing for Christ to die for our sins. It maintains God's justice even as it exemplifies his mercy. And it's always been anticipated and it's always, this was not a plan B. Paul will tell the Ephesians that God knew about this from before the beginning of time and made the decision before time began in our way of thinking. 
this is. And people who say, can't believe God would create people when he knew they were going to sin. Well, God created people knowing they were going to sin and knowing he would pay the price for that sin. But it's always been that way. So Paul says, so what's the purpose of the law? What does it mean? Why do we have that? Well, he gives you a number of reasons, and we'll look at this more throughout the book, why I don't need to give much time today. But he says, why then the law? It was added because of transgressions. And, and we'll talk later about more of what this means, but for now, until the offspring, Christ, should come, to whom the promise had been made, us, and it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. <laughs> now, an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Now, if you're reading that and saying, what on earth does that last bit mean? I would like to encourage you with the following. By one scholar's count, there are over 300 suggestions of what Paul means by that. And I've already put you through the ringer with preposition boxes today. So I'm not going to give you those 300 reasons. That's your homework. If you want to go research them, and you want to shop those 300 reasons, and you want to say which one you believe, God bless you. But I'm going to tell you this. F.F. Bruce got this right when he said, the law came to confine all to the prison house of sin because of transgressions. To confine all to the prison house of sin from which... There is no exit but the way of faith. Because that's the justice of God. God dispenses judgment. And God dispenses it fairly. And God does it without regard to race, creed, color, or anything else. But the judgment was dispensed on Christ. Not on you and not on me. The judgment was applied in a fair and consistent manner. And those who embrace Christ embrace not only the judgment that he sustained, but the life that he offers. So here are three points to ponder, and then we'll quit. Jarrett used points to ponder a couple of weeks ago. Pastor Jarrett, I thought, I need to bring back points for home, but I'll use points to ponder. I like that. Points to ponder. I want to live out of the faith box, not in the law box. I want what I do to proceed from my faith in Christ and God. I want to, to not only trust Him for my salvation, but I want to live reflecting my firm conviction that he was willing to do that for me. Because I don't want to be an ingrate. I don't want to say, thank you very much. I think I'll take that. Hey, can I have some more? I would like to be a gracious recipient of that grace. And live showing that it means something to me. That sin is so bad that it requires death. And I don't ever, ever, ever want God or anyone to think that my 
Acceptance by God is based on my own merit and achievement. The old hymn, forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my Lord. All the vain things that, all the vain things, uh, charm me most. I sacrifice them to his blood. That's where I want to be. Points to ponder. I want to praise God for his sacrifice. I want to praise him for his just gospel. I want to be able to tell people, look, don't ever think that sharing the gospel with people is embarrassing, is a burden, is a, ah, I mean, all we got to do is just let them know, hey, why, why are you right before God? If they don't believe there's a God, we got to deal with that. But if they think there's a God, why are you right? And most of them will say, well, I've got a good heart. Well, I try hard. I apologize when I mess up. But that's not just. The justice of God is not a scales that weighs it. And some sin is worse than others in terms of God's offending God's holiness. All of it offends His holiness. All of it is contrary to His nature. All of it is deserving of death. And to share the gospel, to share the sacrifice, to share the okay, not guilty, is a good thing. It's something worthy to praise God for. And last, I'm going to serve my God who redeemed me. He got me out of that box. And that's not license to live as I want to. Never is that license to live as I want to. That's freedom to live to please him because it pleases me, not because I earn something out of it. Make sense? Let me bless you in the name of Jesus and let's go to church. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank, you for, I thank you for the sacrifice that you gave. I, I, Father, in faith, I lean on the sacrifice of Jesus. I'll never make it in front of you. I am a sinner. I confess myself a sinner. I am not righteous before you. I am not holy before you based upon my deeds. And I come to you, Father, embracing the cross of Christ the gospel, the good news that you have paid that price. I pray everyone listening to this message will make this their prayer, Father. And that you will take us out of that law box of performance and let us live out of faith in you. Jesus, our Savior, Redeemer, and Lord. Amen. Amen. See you guys next Sunday.